The other day, I was asked by the children of a former mentor to pen a note to honor him before the celebration of his 80th birthday. It wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. I had so many memories, good at that, of this man, that it was hard to isolate out of them a general theme by which to honor his life. Yet with some thought, a few virtues towered above the others. Such exercises will make us wonder what would people say about us when our time comes to be commemorated. Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism, and I'm the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life. If you wish to learn more about our work to raise up evangelists and church planters around the world, go to traincpe.org, and to learn about our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We are looking now at the life of Peter the Apostle. There's much to say about a man like Peter, his impulsiveness, his eagerness, his readiness to step forward. But here is the thing that I think makes this man so great. He was always making his way to the Lord Jesus. If someone were to take snapshots of your life and throughout your life, and it were possible to somehow draw into that snapshot, into that frame, and bring to light the presence of Christ, would he be found? In the background, let's put it this way, if someone were to trace where Christ was leading through your day, would you be found in the background with him? For Peter, this was almost always the case. Let me illustrate this from his life. We read in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus comes before Peter, and at the time that he calls he and his brother to begin following him, because he wants to make them fishers of men, that after that he goes to the house of Peter, and there we find that Peter's mother-in-law is not doing well, and Jesus goes into her presence, and there she has a fever, and Jesus lays his hand upon her, prays for her, and she's healed. And after this occasion, people hear about it, and people in the area of Capernaum begin driving all their sick family members and all those who are needing a touch from God to Jesus, and Jesus begins healing them, so much for they're pressing in upon the house. And so we're told that he spends some lengthy period of time ministering to these people, healing people, touching and raising up those who are sick and infirmed, and healing those who are fevered, and at some point in time in the day, we read that Jesus does something that he will do on a number of occasions after this. And what Jesus does is that Jesus quietly removes himself from the crowd and goes off, we read, to a solitary place to pray. And this becomes the habit of Jesus as you read through the gospel. As the crowds begin to press upon him, Jesus always seems to find a way to remove himself from the crowds at some point to go to a solitary place and pray. The interesting thing is on this account is that as Jesus is up there praying, someone comes along the scene. Jesus has removed himself. He's hidden himself away a moment to pray, and someone's looking for him. Do you know who it is? It's Peter. Peter looks around and says, hey, hey, where did Jesus go? And right away, he starts looking through the town. He's looking through the different alleys and the ways, and he's walking all over the place. And the other disciples are gathered around to help follow. And we read that Peter comes and finds Jesus, and the other disciples are with him. And he says, Lord, there's all kinds of people back there that are waiting for you. They're wanting you to touch their lives. And Jesus says, Peter, we've got some other towns and cities that we need to go to now. But this is a picture of Peter. When Jesus is removed from the scene, when he extracts himself from the presence for a little while, Peter is the first one to notice, hey, wait, Jesus is not here right now. And Peter is off again, making his way to Jesus. Another great story in the life of Peter is the story of Jesus walks on the water. 
It happens on that day. In John chapter 6, we read where Jesus multiplied the loaves and uh, multiplied the fishes and fed the multitude of 5,000 men. And the people wanted to make Jesus king. And we see at that time that Jesus had other plans and that he removed himself from the crowd. And at the same time, he did something that I think was rare for the life of the disciples. He told them to get in a boat and go across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and that he would meet them there later. Jesus doesn't explain to them how it is that he's going to get across the sea and meet them to where he sent them, but that's the instructions he's given them. If you read the text and you begin to study it, you understand that the point at which Jesus instructed them to go is not the point at which they departed. It appears as though the disciples hesitated for a period of time. They didn't want to really leave without him, so they hung around, but as the evening was coming and Jesus had left to go to a solitary place, they finally decided they better do what he said because if they don't, they might not meet up with him at all. And so they get in the boat and they began to make their way across the sea. And as they're making their way across the sea, we read that this great storm comes, that it's so powerful that although they've been rowing all through the evening, they have not made much headway in the direction in which they're trying to go but they are straining, the Bible says, at the oars, and they're about ready to be overwhelmed by the waves. And Jesus sees them from the land where he is and sees that they're in peril in the sea, and it says that Jesus went upon the water and walked out to them. And when they saw him, the disciples screamed out, it says, because they thought they saw a ghost. And Jesus said something, a very curious statement, and it's not reflected in your text. You have to see it in the Greek. The text will say, Jesus said, it is I, but that's not what Jesus said. When they screamed out, Jesus called out to them and simply said these two words. He said, I am. That's the declaration of the name of the one true covenant God. That's the same statement that Jesus made to the Pharisees when they accused him of saying that he somehow had come prior to Moses. How can you say you came before Moses? You're only 33 years old. And Jesus says before Moses was, I am. And they took up stones to stone him because he made himself equal with God. And that's what Jesus says when he's walking across the waves. They scream out, it's a spirit, it's a ghost. And Jesus cries out, it's I am. Peter understands who's addressing them, who's declaring himself to be the I am. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you. Jesus said one word, come. And Peter jumped out of the boat and began to make his way to Jesus. Folks, he's the only person other than Jesus who's ever walked on water. He didn't make very far. He stumbled. He fell. He began to sink. A lot of sermons are built around the problem of sinking in the middle of the water because you take your eyes off of Jesus. But I want to tell you, Peter is the only person who's ever been in a predicament where he's actually gone from walking on the water to not walking on water. And it's because at least at one point, Peter was so desirous to be near Jesus that he got out of the boat and began to walk in the middle of the waves to Jesus. This is Peter's secret. When he gets a chance, when he sees the opportunity, he is always making his way towards Jesus. Even when the current is going the other way. Right after this, they go to the city of Capernaum and there's a very interesting account. And we've talked about this before. This is the point in time in which the people of Israel begin to turn away from Jesus because they cannot accept his instruction. This is the time in which Jesus basically says, the sum and total of my life is not to fill your bellies, it's not to be the king of this nation and lead you in triumph over the other nations. The sum and total of my life is that I've come to give you eternal life. I've come to recalibrate, I've come to change your spiritual destinies. And in order for this to happen, you must receive me for this. You must receive and partake of me as the bread and water of eternal life. Jesus speaks so graphically that he says, you must really eat my flesh and drink my blood. You must come into complete union with myself. 
You must take me for yourself for all you need. And at that point in time, we read that it says many of the disciples turned away and walked with him no more. We begin to understand that it was at this moment in time in which Judas Iscariot, one of the twelves also, although he didn't leave Jesus' presence, began to walk away as well, at least in spirit and in heart. And Jesus says to his disciples at this time, will you leave me also? And Peter speaks up on behalf of the other twelve and says, Lord, to whom else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And listen, he says this, and we believe you are the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God. That's Peter's first confession. It's the first great confession that Peter made. And Jesus said to Peter something curious. He said, have I not chosen all 12 of you? Yet one of you is a devil. But here is Peter speaking as the tide and the current of public opinion is beginning to turn and move the other direction. And here's Peter in the middle of it. And he's mistaken. Not all of them believe this. Judas doesn't now. But Peter is turning against the tide and saying, instead of where the current is going, I'm walking, I'm making my way to you, Lord. You are the one. You are the one we're going to follow. You're the one I'm going to follow. You have the words of eternal life. I believe you're the Savior. You're the Son of the living God. It's Peter's first great confession. The next time you see Peter making this great confession, there are different ideas on what took place, but it could have happened up to a year later. Jesus has begun to remove his ministry from the people of Israel. And in this last half of what would be probably the third full year of Christ's ministry, Jesus begins carrying his ministry out to the Gentile people and the Gentile nations around. He goes to Tyre and Sidon, which is the area of Phoenicia. Eventually, he makes his way to the northern part of the nation of Israel, past the region of the Decapolis, which is a region of the ten Gentile cities. And he makes his way to the Mount Hebron. And there in the northern area of Israel, Jesus again speaks to his disciples. And Jesus asks his disciples this question. He says, who do people say that I am? Now you need to understand something. When Jesus first came along the scene, everybody began to follow Jesus because the hope that rose up in their heart was that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that he was the Messiah and they began to follow him. And when he broke those loaves and those fish and he blessed them and multiplied them, the people were ready to say, let's seal the deal. He's the Messiah. He's come. Let's make him the king. Let's begin this thing right now. And this is what the multitude began to think. A day later, they began to depart from him because he began to express what his Messiahship was all about. But now it's been almost a year and Jesus asked, now what is the opinion about me? Now what are people saying? And the disciples answered, well, Lord, you know, some think that you're a prophet. Some think that you're a good teacher. Some think that you're a precursor to the Messiah. You see what's happening here. Jesus' stock is being downgraded in the public. You see, their opinion of him is beginning to change. The tide of the current thought and the trend of the current thought is, well, already the crowd are saying he's not what we thought he was. Now, we don't want to think that we were entirely wrong. I mean, we don't want to feel as though we were fools and duped. So let's say this. Let's say he was a prophet, you know, someone who's a precursor to the Messiah. But the opinion of the multitudes has changed from what it was a year ago. And Jesus says, yes, but who do you say that I am? What is your response? Regardless of what everybody else says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says again, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What does Jesus say to Peter? Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And he gives a word of commendation to Peter. Here is Peter again, moving against the trend, the current of the society in the day and age, making his way to Jesus in thought and mind and body. And Peter has been watching the trends, and the disciples have been watching the trend away from Christ. But as the trend is flowing away from Christ, 
Peter is continuing to move forward in his conviction of who Christ is, accepting who Christ is revealing himself to be, ready to boldly declare it. There's also that final wonderful picture of this kind of attitude of Peter making his way to Jesus, and we just read about it in John chapter 21. It's that scene following Jesus' resurrection where he is resurrected from the dead, and Peter is with his friend John and Nathaniel and Thomas and some of the other disciples, and they're out fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus appears before them in the early morning hours, and they don't recognize in the dawning light who it is that's there on the beach side and the water side, but John recognizes first, and John says, and this is typical, it's almost typical of their two personalities. If you read the books written by John and the books written by Peter, John seems to have that little bit of perception first. John says it's the Lord, but Peter also reveals his personality as well. John recognizes Jesus first, but Peter takes his garment, puts it around himself, and the word says he plunges into the sea. And he makes his way swimming and wading his way to Jesus. He'll get there first. He's going to, as soon as he has the opportunity, he's going to make his way to Jesus. This is the secret of Peter's life right here. Before we sign off for this broadcast, I want to remind you of a ministry website that we've developed. It is testyourtestimony.com. Our concern is that there are many in our churches who do not have a true born-again relationship with Jesus Christ and so face the prospect of His rejection at the judgment seat in the last day. Our pity for these has made us develop the site testyourtestimony.com in order to apply the command of 2 Corinthians 13.5 to test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. For now, I look forward to our next time partaking together of the bread of life. Till then, may God bless you.